WNYC Studios is brought to you by Zbiotics. Seize the day after a night of drinks with Zbiotics pre-alcohol probiotic drink. Zbiotics was invented by PhD scientists to break down the byproduct of alcohol, which is most responsible for making you feel crummy the next day. Drink Zbiotics before your first drink, drink responsibly, and you'll wake up refreshed and ready to take on the day. Try it for yourself at zbiotics.com/wnyc and get 15% off your first order when you use WNYC at checkout. That's zbiotics.com/wnyc and use the code WNYC at checkout for 15% off. Listener supported. WNYC Studios. You are listening to all of it. The conversations around books and multimedia works such as the 1619 Project and Call and Response include how we teach history and the history of racism in our country. An understanding that racial inequity is systemic and will continue until confronted, the basic tenet of critical race theory, took on a life of its own with people loudly arguing it shouldn't be taught in school. In 2021, CRT became a target and honestly a stand-in for other issues, for people who like things the way they are taught now just fine. Though the signifier may or may not apply to the topics and discussions it's often thrown at, it's important to understand what critical race theory is, where, and how it actually is taught. Back in September, to pair with our conversation with Veronica Chambers about Calm Response on the history of Black Lives Matter, we were joined by someone who has experience teaching critical race theory to high schoolers. Former Portland public school teacher and current director of educational equity at the Center for Equity and Inclusion, Jessica Malari Best joined us to share the history of critical race theory and how she approached teaching it to high school students, starting out with how she first introduces her students to it in class. That is a great question, and I appreciate uh, the beginning of this misinformation of how we're, we are talking about it. We as a collective society right now are talking about critical race theory. Um, when I teach young people uh, about critical race theory, it is not right at the beginning. Um, it is not until all the way until the second semester where we're seeing each other every other day for 90 minutes a day before we even get to scratching the surface of what critical race theory is. Uh, I think the common misconception about critical race theory is that it encompasses all of these things that are being talked about, um, like teaching U.S. history in a more accurate framework or with more narratives is somehow critical race theory, and that's just not what it is. Um, And so I explained to the young people, we have to understand these foundational components we have to have a shared common language uh, before we can even look at the theory itself. Uh, it doesn't, you can't understand a theory if you don't know the words that are being used in it, if that makes sense. Completely. And I'm sort of, I'm sort of curious, how do your students respond when you, when you, when you set a table like that? Um, they respond ex- with excitement. Mm-hmm. Um, my class, when I taught it, uh, is an elective. And so they chose in to sit in the seat and uh, we start at the very top with a, with a clear foundation that race, we're not going to argue or debate in this space if racism is real. If racism is real. What we're going to do in this space is understand how it's thriving and functioning, how it shifts over time, um, and ways in which we can identify 
how it shows up in our institutions and in our culture and in our interpersonal relationships and also with us personally. Would you mind walking us through a little bit of the history around the term critical race theory? Yeah, so critical race theory was developed, um, it came out of critical legal, legal scholarship. So um, uh, attorneys who were working to study law, right, and create a, a real foundation around the, the institution of law in this country, realized or came to the conclusion that you can't look at law, um, at, which is the basis of our government structure, uh, and not in, look at race that those two things are inherently interconnected. Uh, and so it, it started there. Um, and, and a lot of the things that branched out of that um, are now moving into other institutions, right? Like, mm -hmm. like edu critical race theory in education or in policing or in business or in media. And you can use those similar lenses, but it has its roots in studying things like the Constitution and all that's encompassed in law from what happens, you know, in a courtroom to sentencing to incarceration. And that race, if we're not looking at, at it with a racialized lens, then we're actually not really understanding why the law itself was created and who it's benefiting and who it's exploiting. As you said, this started actually out of, out of the legal world. So who was or mm -hmm. originally being taught about critical race theory? You know, it is uh, lawyers, lawyers, I would say, right? um, yeah. and it wasn't until like you would go to uh, university level um, or even law school um, and hear about uh, these frameworks. And there's all sorts of tenets. I actually use five tenets that are more original to the theory, but it is developed. So there's so much scholarship now mm -hmm. um, that they're all different ways, but they have very similar languages. Um, but I use five tenets and one in which comes from Derek Bell, who is one of the original creators of crit critical race theory. So as I, you know, I alluded to, there's been this discussion. It's become a national discussion with news media, politicians, mm -hmm. lawmakers, everybody adding their two cents. And it all kind of stems back to it's about a year ago. You know, I went down the, the Google rabbit hole. Uh, it is a year ago. It was a year ago, right? <laughs> so this conservative activist appeared on Fox News about a year ago and mm -hmm. had decided that critical race theory was a good tool to get his message across. And mm -hmm. in the shorthand, is it that it's un-American or even anti-American? And as the story mm -hmm. goes, according to one of the New Yorker articles I read, he got a call from the White House, this activist did, mm -hmm. uh, and he told a New, a New Yorker reporter this, that Mark Meadows called him the president's chief of staff and said, this is Mark Meadows, chief of staff, reaching out on behalf of the president, Mr. Trump. He saw your segment on Tucker last night and he's instructed me to take mm -hmm. action. Now, the Washington Post estimates that since that time, from then to June, critical race theory was mentioned 1,300 times on Fox News. Mm. So as someone who taught this, as someone who heard questions from young minds who elected to learn about this, what were you thinking as you watched this grow over the past year? Um, uh, first, I'm, I'm not surprised. So um, as someone who studies race in this country and the ways in which certain tactics are used to continue to be divisive, um, while interestingly enough blaming the study of anti-racism as divisive, <laughs> um, these patterns are pretty predictable. Um, but as I watched it grow, I actually used that interview 
um, to analyze in my class. Um, and then oddly enough, uh, this person also wrote an article um, and I was in that article <laughs> um, about critical race theory and teaching it in Portland. Um, and so watching it grow, it, it it's just astounding to me, but also not surprising. Um, the misinformation, the, the lack of awareness, this insidious fear around it um, when it's not true. Um, and then the outrage, I think that this outrage, like, oh my gosh, I can't believe this is being taught to our kids. Like this outrage um, for as an educator, as someone who loves history, it's like, well, where is the outrage when we start to unpack and discover that the stories that have been told um, to our young people are actually false, right? Or where's the outrage um, when we are creating false narratives around historical moments to our, to our kids? Um, but there is none. And that's because um, there is an agenda, right? And um, it makes people uncomfortable to start to question the very fabric and framework of our society. In my experience, it, it leaves kids feeling excited um, I heard the last, uh, your last guest and about like finding their voice and possibility um, of doing things differently. I have not tearing anything down and burning it to the ground, but in fact, using what we have access to and making this place better. Um, but you cannot move what you do not see. And so the denial or this pushback on kids being able to see things more clearly um, one has to ask those questions, right? Like, well, wh what's the purpose of that? Uh, and if you ask those questions, you usually find those answers. You know, a big response to the people who don't want critical race theory in schools or to be taught or even talked about is people, I've heard this, no one has actually taught critical race theory at K through 12 level, but you taught it. Mm -hmm. So I did. Mm -hmm. That statement is not 100% true either. No, and in fact, that is um, unfortunate, uh, you know, as we look at the way this is polarized, the right and the left or the conservative or the Democrat, mm -hmm. um, critical race theory is actually a holistic framework. So, for example, one of those tenets of critique of liberalism is really to look at these, the, the Democrats, for example, or whatever party you want to label mm -hmm. as the liberal party and how that is actually still complicit in this system and be able to ask better questions about those things, to critique that. Um, and that's, un that's something that is misunderstood so much, right? That this is, oh, it's against Republicans or, it's, oh, anti-conservative. It's, like, it's like, no, it's looking at the whole framework, the entire system, the entire structure, um, and asking these questions. It is not one or the other. We're all part of it. My guest is Jessica Malari. She's a former Portland public school high school teacher who taught critical race theory. Why was it taught in your school? Um, because I wanted it to be. <laughs> <laughs> um, in all honesty, I had started this class um, at another school that I taught at. And in um, the school that I taught recently, it in, uh, if you have an elective that you want to teach, you present it to your department. Um, you should have a syllabus, you should meet the standards, all of these things, and then they approve it. And if young people sign up, then the course, and you have enough people, the course will run. Well, the first time I introduced this, and I couple it with actually um, an exploration of hip-hop, and we use mm -hmm. that in connection to critical race theory. 
and we had three full sections um, of kids who wanted to take this class. Uh, And then when I was leaving, that was my entire schedule, meaning that Mm -hmm. we had kids signing up every year um, for six full classes. And I, and I actually went from a one, we had all the way up to five, six. So that's three years worth. Now, Portland, I think most people know, is a, is a fairly liberal part of Oregon. There's other parts of Oregon that are hugely conservative, especially the, you know, the parts up against Idaho. Have you ever had a kid in your, in your class who signed up uh, to challenge the theory? To kind no. Of, no. <laughs> Uh, not not in that context. I definitely have had, you know, as I teach or taught government or modern world history, which is like global studies or world history, um, you know, uh, this is just something, a way in which I view the world as well. Uh, and so that's going to show up. I'm very honest about that. And we can engage in conversation about that. Um, and so there's been some pushback there. Uh, but kids who usually sign up to take this class they they signed up because something doesn't feel right because they feel like I've been hearing these things and or I've been feeling these things or I've been actually experiencing these things. And I'm looking for language. I'm looking for language and understanding and the ability to engage in a conversation that I'm not ha- able to have anywhere else. Right. And so, there, you know, before we even get to the study of the use of critical race theory, they're learning basic foundations on how to engage in conversations about race across difference. Right? And I think there's this misconception that just because I say I'm anti-racist that, and someone else says they're anti-racist and we're working to be that way, that we must agree all the time. And that is a really sad uh, expectation because really things don't grow out of everyone thinking the same. Um, we can have a same framework, right? We are all working to be anti-racist and we need all these different ideas. So, um, you know, disconnect or challenge uh, is welcomed, actually. It is healthy. Mm-hmm. Conflict to that in that regard is very healthy. Uh, we're just, we as a society, as a culture, um, do not invite that. And we also don't teach our young people how to engage in that way, in a way that invites that as a place of possibility. Like you don't have to be in critical judgment or mean, right, or catty to to disconnect. You can actually sit and we can engage. Let's talk about it and be open to changing our minds. That was my conversation with Jessica Malari-Best, a former Portland public school teacher who joined us to discuss teaching critical race theory to high school students. This is Ira Flato, host of Science Friday. For over 30 years, the Science Friday team has been reporting high-quality science and technology news, making science fun for curious people by covering everything from the outer reaches of space to the rapidly changing world of AI to the tiniest microbes in our bodies. Audiences trust our show because they know we're driven by a mission to inform and serve listeners first and foremost with important news they won't get anywhere else. And our sponsors benefit from that halo effect. For more information on becoming a sponsor, visit sponsorship.wnyc.org.